Hi, I'm Brent Stafford, and this is RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration missed a court-mandated deadline yesterday for deciding which e-cigarette products should be authorized or removed from, mar- from the market. This after years of pushing hysteria over nicotine vaping and the so-called teen vaping epidemic. As the great Jim McDonald from Vaping 360 wrote yesterday, the agency punted on its obligations and left the U.S. vaping industry twisting in the wind. Joining us today to unpack this reckless action by the FDA are three of our favorite guests, Amanda Wheeler, national vaping advocate, Demetrius Agrafiotis, who is a planetary vaping advocate, and Phil Brasardo, vape evangelist extraordinaire. Folks, thanks for coming back on the show. Yeah, thanks, thanks for Brent. having us, Brent. Thank you. Yeah, I know it's not such a great day. Amanda, let's first start with you. Tell us what have the last 48 hours have been like for you coming up to the announcement? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I would I would say it's about the last two weeks since they put out that first round of those three initial MDOs. Um, at that point, the writing on the wall was pretty clear about the direction FDA was taking with this, which only uh, got worse the closer we got to the ninth and the more of the marketing denial orders that we saw come out, you know, and obviously yesterday was completely crazy. My phone started ringing at 6.30 a.m. with the Wall Street Journal and didn't stop ringing until I stopped answering at about 10 o'clock last night. Uh, It's been a really um, very scary time. A lot of people are trying to, you know, recuperate and regroup and figure out what their next move is. And, you know, we're in a tough spot with not a lot of great options. So, you know, I think everybody right now is really in crisis mode trying to figure out what's next. Demetrius, from your point of view, you know, explain to the audience what exactly happened yesterday. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I'm really kind of shocked that a lot of people are surprised on this. It's something that I think that we all anticipated since we didn't see the FDA um, go to Judge Grimm and get an extension, uh, as, as they should have, uh, given the, the enormous amount of PMTAs that were submitted. Um, so I had told Phil Bissard about six months ago that I'm expecting that the FDA will find something missing from these PMTAs and use it as a cookie cutter system to start eliminating uh, uh, some of these submissions as we're leading up to the deadline. Uh, me personally, I have filed about 800 PMTAs for various e-liquid and hardware manufacturers and uh, three of my clients got uh, MDOs as well. Uh, in fact, on my way here to Greece on the airplane is when we got the letters. Uh, so it was something that we were expecting. Uh, however, uh, I think that this is probably one of the uh, darkest days for the open independent paper industry in America and probably one of the deadliest days for the thousands of smokers that will continue to die. And Phil, uh, fill us in a little bit. What was your reaction hearing the news yesterday? First of all, a lot of me, Dimitri didn't say it this time, but I do blame about 80% of this on Dimitri because every time he goes to Greece, something like this happens. Um, Just, you know, I've been feeling really defeated when it comes to vaping, and uh, this just makes it worse. Um, I'm, I'm heartbroken. I'm heartbroken for what it's done to me mentally, how I feel about vaping um, and the reviews. But I feel I feel worse for people like Dimitri and, and and like Amanda who have put so much time and effort you know into saving this industry but you know who I feel worst worst for 
are the people who are going to die because of this. And be, and there are a lot of people who are going to die because of this. So let's, uh, let's put some words to what exactly happened. And Amanda, uh, Demetrius, you know, feel free to jump in if I don't get this right. But obviously, uh, vaping products were deemed to be tobacco products back in 2016. And we've been on this endless cycle of extending deadlines and shortening deadlines and so forth. Meanwhile, been mired in all the hysteria and misinformation that's been going on in the mainstream media. I mean, there certainly are thousands and thousands of people who have uh, vaping in their sites to eradicate it. And they seem to not have any care for adult smokers. It's all wrapped up around flavors and the issue in terms of protecting kids. It seems that kids are unable to control themselves. And here we are with the FDA was supposed to have come out with potentially maybe uh, authorizing some products. Instead, they authorized none. They provided no information on the big controversial players like the Jewel and the Views and stuff, the big tobacco products. And meanwhile, they've been sending out thousands, you know, to, uh, regarding thousands of products, they've been sending out marketing denial orders, basically saying you were not sufficient in your application for pre-market tobacco authorization. Did I get that right, Amanda? Yeah, I would say that's a pretty accurate assessment of the situation. So in your mind, and let, before we jump into the MDO, in your mind, where are we at? Are there any nicotine vaping products uh, legally sold in the United States today? Well, that's that's a, a, a question for, you know, an attorney, but, you know, according to uh, how things are written, I don't I don't think so. I mean, obviously, we saw in uh, some of Jim McDonald's work yesterday, some of the larger companies, um, you know, that haven't received an MDO are continuing to market their products in the absence of direction from FDA. Uh, so I think that's an uh, I think that's probably something that's going to be addressed at some point again in Judge Grimm's court because you know we already saw some things going on on social media yesterday where some of those tobacco control groups were not happy with what FDA had done yesterday. So we certainly do anticipate that they will press the issue in court. Demetrius, do you have a thought on that? Is there anything legal? Well, the FDA has mentioned uh, multiple times in the press releases two words, enforcement discretion. So um, in my opinion, if they choose, as they have done with Juul, they made an announcement that they are going to continue and give Juul some more time while they're going over the application. To me, that means that they use their enforcement discretion on Juul. And they're allowing the product to continue to be sold in the market since Jewel did not receive a cease to sell order from the FDA. So I do believe that products that have not received uh, an MDO, I believe that they fall under that enforcement discretion of the FDA and they can be continued they, they, and they can sell, uh, still sell on the market until Matt Myers uh, and the rest of the, uh, the so-called public health advocates uh, take it to Judge Grimm. So let's take a look now at the uh, marketing denial order. And this is uh, just page one, which is really the key page uh, for us to be working with here. And inside it, and then, and Amanda, I'm going to toss this to you for some reaction right, right away, but it is a denial. And here's, so this is written to somebody who is a manufacturer of nicotine vaping e-juice. 
and uh, obviously flavored because they most are. And this is what the FDA says. All of your PMTAs lack sufficient evidence demonstrating that your flavored ends will provide a benefit to adult users that would be adequate to outweigh the risks to youth. In light of the known risks to youth of marketing flavored ends, robust and reliable evidence is needed regarding the magnitude of the potential benefit to adult smokers. This evidence could have been provided using a randomized controlled trial and or a longitudinal cohort study that demonstrated the benefit of your flavored ends products over an appropriate comparator tobacco flavored ends. What do you make of that, Amanda? Well, you know, I mean, uh, Demi kind of hinted at this earlier. I mean, obviously, the FDA picked a very high bar and they've decided to apply it across the board. A very generalized reason to deny all applications. Um, every single one of these MDOs I've seen have all been identical. Some of them, that paragraph is written as one big chunk, and some of them have paragraph breaks in there. But other than that, they're they're all worded exactly the same. And so, you know, FDA just had too many applications on their hand around this really controversial topic of flavors with this deadline breathing down their throat. And obviously, um, you know, they drew a line in the sand on flavors and they, they set the bar very high. Um, you know, obviously this this data exists out there already, right, about the benefits of flavored vaping versus the benefits of tobacco vaping. It's in the PATH data. It's, it's very well established. Um, but, you know, FDA setting this bar for product-specific clinical trials or cohort studies, um, you know, they really backed us into a corner because um, very few companies have that. And some of the companies that even have that may not have designed those studies to address the question in the way that FDA is now asking it, you know, this comparison to tobacco flavor. Um, so, you know, it, it, it was a cutoff point that they decided on and, and they set it there and, you know, and, and they're clearing the market of everything that didn't meet that. Yeah, that is true. And this was the actual paragraph uh, from it, the deeper one. You know, what struck me um, here is that is how much it it is absolutely linked to the risks of youth, where that wasn't always the benchmark uh, uh, under the PMTA in the early stages. So, I mean, how much has the goalposts been moved with regards to uh, getting authorization? Well, I mean, the, the goalpost was never clearly defined in the first place. And I mean, here we sit with 90% of applications denied and the, the final rule isn't even published as of this point. It, it was withdrawn. And so this has been a constantly moving goalpost. There was guidance that was put out for the perception study portion of PMTA after the submission um, it's been a case where it's been a constantly moving goalpost. And, you know, this is, is the first time that it's been articulated in this way in these MDOs. And, you know, this this would have been useful information to have at the beginning of this process rather than the end. Now, Demetrius, I mean, there was uh, some hope I felt amongst guests on the show even in the last in the last short while that there might be at least some open systems, small business um, e-juice out there, or at least maybe some of the larger ones like the Nakeds or, or whatever. Is there any hope that there's going to be open system e-juice avail available in the U.S.? Or, I mean, or is this going to just retrench right to closed pod systems um, all by Big Tobacco? 
Uh, boy, I've got a lot to say on this, but the short answer is no. I don't think that any open vapor can, in the short term, meet um, the barrier that is within the PMTA. But I think a lot of people are forgetting that the FDA did not set this standard, that the Tobacco Control of 2009 set the standard, otherwise known as the Philip Morris Protection Act. And the reason why tobacco companies signed on to that negotiation that took 10 years, uh, in which part of it was Matt Myers included in these negotiations and Mitch Zeller and and uh, a slew of characters that you're seeing in the news today was that they knew that for anybody to come on the market to compete with them, they would have to go through some very expensive and sometimes even impossible hoops to get market authorization. Now, having said that, could the FDA had um, made that process more streamlined? Could they have bridged data? Absolutely, they could. But... Uh, you know, that wouldn't eliminate competition. And that's what all this is about, is to eliminate all the companies and leave one or two players on the market. So um, I also want to bring up the fact that, again, a lot of people are forgetting that uh, Scott Gottlieb, when he was commissioner, gave an extension to the industry till 2022. I think this is something that's not being mentioned enough by uh, the people in, in our industry. So originally, if you had, you know, like clients that I was representing, we had set a timeline of completing a lot of these, um, uh, these necessities within the PMTA. Uh, however, after the judge's decision, we literally had under a year to, to draft and submit, uh, you know, what I was calling at the time a D minus PMTA. Now we're looking that it's a it's big time FD, uh, FF uh, submission. Uh, and of course, the great work that Amanda and Char did with the AVM, uh, helping all these small businesses at least meet the modules of submitting a PMTA. But always our goal was to extend them. You know, I have a couple of big clients that have spent a lot of money so far into this process. I have some smaller clients as well that didn't do much of the financial, but they all met those modules of submitting a PMTA. So if you put all of that together, um, the short answer to your question is no, I do not anticipate any open vapor to be able to meet this threshold or be legally granted authorization to be sold in America in the short term. And by short term, I mean over the next two, three years. That is, um, that is a disaster. Phil, let me ask you, you know, when you hear that there will be no more, you know, open vapor products, right? No more e-juice for your devices. What, how does that affect you? I mean, it affects me personally because what do I vape, right? I mean, I, I feel like vapors today will find a way, right? But that's not going to help the vape shops. That's not going to help the person who doesn't want to die of cancer uh, because they want they want to try vaping. That's not going to help those people. Um, so I, I just don't know what's next uh, for for me, for this industry, for, for what I'm going to do. Um, and again, it just goes back to like, why, why is my life worth less than a child's? Why, why is that? Why do I, as an adult, have to suffer and, and have my rights, liberties and freedoms taken away from me? by the, the actions of bad actors, 
by, by children, by parents who can't control their children. Why does that affect me? Personally, I think this whole thing yesterday should have been labeled. The, the, the press announcement was labeled wrong. Uh, the press announcement should have been labeled FDA makes significant progress in destroying lives, jobs and killing people all while saving children from something that doesn't exist. So, uh, you know, Brent, I'm just angry. I'm just angry o- over this whole thing. Uh, I'm, I'm angry that due to the the illegal actions of others, I have to suffer. And when I say I, I'm not just talking about me, obviously. I'm talking about vapors all over the country. So, Amanda, let I me want to add one more thing. Uh, I'm sorry to, to intervene here. And I think Amanda will, will agree with me as well, too. The definition of product specific does not meet the category of open vapor. So that's why I'm, I'm and I've said this all along and I've been clear cut and concise and honest, even with my clients on this process. The use of open vapor for adults is very different than what the FDA had designed in drafting the PMTA in 2009. Okay. In a product-specific application, you have to show, A, that an adult quits with your product, B, that they continue to use that product to stay off cigarettes, and C, a child is not going to initiate use. However, our industry and our consumers don't work like that. We quit with one flavored liquid, then we transition to another flavored liquid. We might quit with a tobacco liquid. Within a couple of weeks, our flavor change, our palate changes. We switch to a flavored liquid. And after a couple of weeks, you might switch to another flavored liquid. Then you might get to the point where in the morning with your coffee, you want a, you know, a coffee liquid. And then in the evening with your scotch, you want something, a bakery good. And then during the day, you might want to bake a fruit. So it's impossible to, to have a product-specific study that captures all these requirements in the, in, in the FDA. And it's something that I think that we felt as an industry to get across to the FDA but a product specific, there's not one vapor that I personally know in my 10 years of vaping, and I think Phil can back me up on this, that has quit smoking with the same liquid and has continued over the next five years. to. Vape. I mean, there might be one or two, but, but the, the percentage versus the actual use of this product is, is extremely minimal. Um, so to create a product specific you know, barrier for, for, your, for your product to submit to the FDA is, is impossible, in my opinion. Amanda, I'd like to I'd like to get into a little bit in terms of the inaction here uh, by FDA, because they clearly, as Demetrius had said, they've granted kind of an extension, I guess, in some manner or another to Juul. Yet they've been axing all of the open vapor market products. So now, I mean, for one, I hate asking. I mean, is that fair? Of course, it's not fair. I mean, there's nothing fair usually about the way a regulator operates in most cases and then certainly in this file there's not been anything fair at all so i mean what what's your sense on this i mean is the fda being reckless here well extremely reckless and i mean this ties back into demi and phil's previous comments um, but, you know, if you read that marketing denial order, obviously they're they're judging these applications under the auspices of the youth issue. And we know for a fact the products they've been denying are not the products driving youth use, right? Open systems, uh, low nicotine flavored liquids and, you know, large uh, vaping devices are not the products that, that have driven uh, the so-called uh, youth vaping epidemic in this country. It's those products that 
uh, FDA is currently exercising enforcement discretion on that have driven uh, any youth vapor use in this country. And so um, I, I find it very inconsistent and it is quite unfair. Unfortunately, you know, saying it's unfair isn't going to get us very far in this situation. I think everybody's already, not our industry, but everybody else involved here, the FDA, the tobacco control groups, I mean, they've certainly accepted the fact that this is unfair to small businesses and they're quite fine with it. Um, you know, the, the real problem that no one is considering here is our adult customers who depend on these products. You know, hey, I mean, Brand, I, Brand, I'd like to jump in on that. On that, you said, are they being reckless? I don't think they're being reckless. I think they're being calculated. I, I think they know exactly what they're doing. This is my personal opinion, but I think they know exactly what they're doing. Right? They went after all of the low-hanging fruit. They dropped bombs on everybody that can only fight back with a stick. Oh, but Jules different. Jules got power behind them. Jules got money behind them. Jules got lobbying behind them. We're gonna take a little bit more time with Jewel, and that should say something. They said a big f you to all small businesses, all private little tiny businesses, mom and pop, right? And they're, they're, they're thinking about what they're going to do with Jewel. Is that right? Is that fair? Of course, like you said, no, it's not fair. But I don't think it's reckless. I think it's calculated. Also, also I think that Jewel's submission does not meet the criteria of an MBO okay? also, okay? So it makes sense to me what they're doing. If Jewel has submitted a very comprehensive PMTA, it makes sense what the FDA is doing because I don't think that they can deny Juul until they get to the scientific review portion, which at that point they might deny it, uh, if, especially if Juul uh, can't prove that there's an uptick in youth use with their product, which uh, you know part of the strategy of Juul of removing their flavored pods from the market a couple of years ago, even though every vape shop that is bitching about it right now was selling them. And I can tell you a lot of vape shops had one and two displays of Juul, but we'll get into that in another episode. But Juul was very smart. They removed every flavor product from the market because they knew they were going to submit a PMTA that's very comprehensive. And I guarantee you that part of their uh, um, part of their submission actually says we've done everything to keep the hands uh, of the youth away from our product, including removing flavored product. So given all that, I am not surprised. As long as Juul has a complete uh, uh, PMTA in with the FDA, I'm not surprised with that. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be surprised to see it for the views. I'm not gonna be surprised to see it for Enjoy. I'm not gonna be surprised to see it for a couple of these companies that have a full scientific board, uh, scientists, doctors, attorneys, uh, regulatory consultants, pharmacopoeia people on their staff that can assemble a multi-million dollar PMTA to submit the FDA. Yeah. Okay, here's a question. Um, how much and in what way, and this is to the group, how much in what way has the Biden administration, do you think, influenced the development of these events over the last couple of days or weeks? Well, you know, as as uh, Demi has said many times, I mean, this has roots all the way back to 2009 Tobacco Control Act. So it's it's a little bit of one of those situations that span multiple administrations. But I, I will say this, and, and I'm, you know, very interested in Demi's take on this as well. Um, you know, in our members that we work with, we felt um, a major tonal shift in how FDA was dealing with us um, starting, you know, probably about 
a month, four to six weeks ago, I'd say. Uh, prior to that, um, FDA was, you know, issuing deficiency letters, conducting RRAs, conducting manufacturer inspections, um, granting extensions on deficiency letter responses, and, you know, really engaging us in this process of, of giving them more data and giving us the opportunity to correct anything that was missing. And, you know, four to six weeks ago, um, the flow in the process really changed. You know, this process of moving from an acceptance letter to a filing letter into review and getting a deficiency letter, you know, there there was some skipping of the filing stage that was going on, and there were some emails sent out to companies putting them straight into review uh, that were using quite different language than what FDA had been doing in the previous part of this year. And so, you know, and that was right around the time that we saw a lot of political pressure come onto FDA with the 31 attorney generals, all of the outreach from Congress. And so I would say that at some point in the recent uh, past, there there was some political influence that was asserted pretty heavily on FDA. Demi? I certainly agree with Amanda's position that there is a lot of political pressure. However, we also have to understand that there is a judge that has ruled uh, on the FDA to complete this process by September 9th of 2020. Uh, so the, I think more than the political pressure, I think that the public relations failure that the FDA would face if they had gotten to September 9th and they still had six and a half million applications pending uh, would be a disaster, uh, including the administration now, because uh, the, you know whoever's in charge politically and we have a democratic control across the board right now would be probably tasked with that failure of the FDA since the heads of the FDA have been chosen by this, even even though uh, Woodcock is an interim uh, commissioner and she's not going to be a permanent. So, yeah, I agree that it's partially political pressure, but also there is a judge that has ruled on it. And the and the uh, the public health puppets and the people that get paid to to allow people to continue to smoke in America uh, were constantly threatening the FDA that they had uh, to abide by a court decision. So I think that that played a huge role as well, too, alongside the political influence. Well, and they're continuing that threat in an article yesterday uh, put out by Stat News. FDA misses deadline for deciding which e-cigarette products should be removed from the market. And if you go, there's a real taste here uh, that you can you can taste it um, in terms of oh, what's the right word? Uh, this is not looking good for the FDA on from anyone's side. And then clearly, as you were mentioning, the folks that actually brought this lawsuit to force this deadline, which is a year earlier uh, than it would have been if it would have been the 2022 deadline, and they're not happy at all with it. Matt Myers from Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids, which sued the FDA to create the September 9th deadline, applauded the progress but insisted it was not enough. And they're holding FDA's feet to the fire to get a decision made on Juul soon, or FDA could find themselves back in court. Yeah, I think that's a little posturing on, on Mike Myers' um, um, part, obviously. But uh, yeah, I mean, the threat is real. Uh, but ultimately, ultimately, again, as I mentioned in, in the first portion of this interview, FDA does have enforcement discretion and they can use that enforcement discretion as well, too. Look, you know, I'll be happy uh, for Juul if they if they get a PMTA through. Uh, I'll be happy for harm reduction, I should say. And then obviously I'll be happy for the stakeholders of Juul as well, too. 
because we need to get less harmful products through the process to allow us to tell American smokers that this product is less harmful than, than smoking. However, the economic impact, the health impact, the existing customer base of the open vapor industry is, is a huge part of what we have accomplished in the last 10 years. And it's a tragedy to see the consumers themselves suffer, which by the way, on a little side note here, I, I talked about this with Phil before we came on the air. I am shocked. I am flabbergasted to see the lack of outrage from consumers. I mean, I have seen threads on YouTube drama draw 300, 400 comments, and I'm not seeing anything. I see the same 30, 40 people on Twitter taking it to the, you know, to war with, with these public health groups and with the FDA, but I have not seen the consumer uproar as we should have seen, which would be very, very influential with the media. When these stories come out, when these announcements from the FDA come out, we're seeing just a very minute amount of people um, defending their position. And that's not drawing enough national media for us to make us think. And to close that parenthesis and to close everything out, you know, I, I think that if you look at the entire scope of what Myers is doing, and he's not the only one, you know, he's just the lead puppet in this. And, and he has the highest salary of all of them as well, too, by the way. Um, I think that the FDA, uh, given uh, alongside, you know, the failures of the CDC and the entire health group under the federal agency with Evali and with, with uh, COVID and, uh, you know, they just cannot afford another PR nightmare and they have to act like uh, they're protecting the kids. And, uh, and believe it or not, that is more intense than political pressure right now in America. Amazing. So, Amanda, let me ask you this. You've got, you're in touch with the organization. And what's the organization uh, that you're involved in with regard to PMTAs? Yeah, it's the American Vapor Manufacturers Association. So you help support a lot of businesses. Is that not correct? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have around 100 members right now that all had filed timely applications and were working to continually provide FDA with more data on those applications. And they had the rug pulled out from under them over the last two weeks. You know, all that money, all that time, all that effort spent to comply in a system that it's very hard to fit into. And they've spent, you know, untold amounts of time and effort and money on this. Um, you know, just to be issued these flat blanket across the board denials, it's been devastating for our association. So what have uh, your members been saying in terms of next steps? I mean, obviously, I'm assuming that nobody shut their doors uh, today. No, I don't think so. I think, um, you know, a couple of people have paused temporarily to sort of retool and, you know, people are, are this, we're in the early days of people processing this news. So, you know, people are still figuring out what they're going to do. Um, you know, there's certain short-term solutions that, that people are looking at to keep them in business. But I think there is a growing awareness that over the long term, in the big picture, um, we are going to have to find our pathway through FDA if we want open systems to remain on the market in the long term, you know, because any other solutions at this point are, are just temporary band-aids. Demetrius, um, is there going to be a black market? 
Uh, absolutely. And I would call it a black open market as well, too. I mean, my advice, I'm going on the record here publicly and telling everybody to continue to sell. Um, and I'm going to tell you why. The only way we're going to get attention to this subject is if somebody like me or Phil or a vape shop owner gets arrested for providing a 70-year-old ex-smoker flavored e-liquid. There's absolutely in no scenario that we can abide by this when you have customers, uh, especially older folks, that depend on these products to stay smoke-free. And the only way that we can do this is, since we failed as an industry to do, create a PR firm, <laughs> is to get PR firm through the black market. Uh, so, yeah, absolutely. There'll be a black open market, in fact, and, and as it should be. Uh, there's definitely going to be a gray area. We're definitely going to see some people move into tobacco-free nicotine. We're definitely going to see people continue to sell their existing product as they should until we see what the FDA uh, plans on doing. Uh, the FDA has failed across the board to do anything with adulterated products that have been on the market for four years now. I can go to a gas station and pull a handful of vapor products that are all illegal on the market now, including disposable vapor products with high content of nicotine that we know are causing initiation in the youth. And the FDA has done absolutely nothing with it. So my advice would be, and this is the advice to my clients as well, too, is to continue to sell. Yeah, some of some will will switch to other avenues. There's definitely uh, some uh, legal there's definitely a legal pathway there that I don't think that we would ever be successful with, but there's definitely a legal pathway. There's definitely a freedom of information act uh, request pathway that we certainly should go down and look at the internal memos from the FDA and how they switched uh, as quickly as Amanda said in the last couple of months, their tune and the way that they were handling these applications. There's definitely um, um, uh, something to be said about the process of them denying specific scientific information from an application that has not gone into scientific review, right? So, um, I mean, there's definitely a lot of pathways here. My concern obviously would be um, uh, funding such efforts uh, as businesses are, are, are taking uh, hits after hits after hits. Uh, how are we gonna continue to fund this in order to, to, to get some justice? Um, and, um, and ultimately who's going to be left, uh, you know, there to fight because, uh, I can't think of any industry, uh, at least in the last 25, 30 years that I have been in America, I can't think of any industry that has gone through what we have since 2016, five years running and, and still, you know, keep kicking at, uh, I mean, imagine we comply with every step that the FDA asked us to since day one. Not everybody, but the majority, I think, of professional open vapor industry have registered their product, submitted ingredient list, met all the deadlines. Then, you know, with a lot of hard work, uh, we're able to complete modules. I, at some point in my house in Chattanooga, Tennessee, had Phil Busardo in my basement for two days straight filling out Excel forms as we were completing the deadline for the PMTAs. This is an absolute fact. Uh, so I think that there's no other industry that's gone there. We have done everything. And to have it just like in a matter of a couple of days be ripped out is something that certainly I think that we're going to be able to dig deep, deep inside and find some level of corruption. Phil, are you ready to get arrested? Yeah, by the way, it's true. Uh, Dimitri worked me like a dog that day. It was horrible. Um, sure. Let's get arrested. You know, 
you, you kind of passed by me on the Biden thing before, and that's probably a good idea because I'd get me and you in trouble. Um, but well, no, I want to know. I would like to know. I mean, do you the, the Biden, Biden, the Biden administration, right? They, they claim to follow the science. OK, so I invite the Biden administration to follow the science, to follow the science that says this right here is 95 percent safer than this. These are my stunt cigarettes. The 95 percent safer than this. OK, 95 percent. Follow that science. Follow that science and keep these products in the hands of the adults who are using them to not die of cancer. I'm asking that of the Biden administration. And while you're signing mandates because you want to loosen, you want to lighten the load of hospitals while you're signing mandates. Okay, how about mandating everybody that does this move to this and we'll see what that does to the loaded hospitals. Good point. While you're uh, doing mandates, uh, Mr. President here, that's a good suggestion. Amanda, let me ask you this. There's a lot of talk going on about synthetic nicotine, and I'm going to bring that to you too as well, Demetrius, but let's start with you, Amanda. What do you know about it? Is is it viable? Are some of your members switching over? Uh, you know, Brent, respect, respectfully, that's just not something that I want to talk about in a public forum because the places that that has been discussed in a public forum uh, it's been pretty quick to be picked up by the media, picked up by by some of these anti groups, and so um, you know there are internal conversations happening about that, but not anything I I would want to elaborate on publicly. Sure, Demetrius, same thing, or do you have a thought? I mean, I don't think us talking publicly about it is going to change anything. Trust me, Altria already knows about synthetic nicotine, and they have brought it to the attention of the FDA. Uh, so uh, I'm going to go on the record and say that the FDA, all I'm going to say is that the FDA has absolutely no authority over tobacco-free nicotine as it stands right now. I'm not going to say that it's, it might change. It might change tomorrow. Uh, it might change in six months. It might change in a year. But as it stands today, I feel confident in, in stating that the FDA has absolutely uh, nothing. I would be more concerned about states. Uh, we're seeing already legislation uh, being introduced by big tobacco in various states to ban synthetic nicotine. So I would be more worried about states uh, in the next couple of years uh, taking care of that, just like they did flavors in some states in the, in the past year, than I would be from the FDA. Uh, the FDA um, uh, moves in two speeds, slow and stop. So um, uh, it's not going, it's, it's, I don't see the FDA doing anything here with the next couple of years. Right. Amanda, and I totally appreciate uh, your position uh, on that last question. Do you feel that there's still opportunity uh, to work with the regulators and government on this file? And so, you know, you obviously want to protect some measure to be able to do that. Or are you in a position soon where where it's time to break out the signs and, and the pitchforks and, and head out on the streets? Well, it's definitely time to head out on the street. And uh, I don't I, I don't think I'm going to quite answer the question you were asking, but it's going to tie back to, to Demi's comments about, you know, PR and really activating our consumers is I've, I've been having very intense conversations uh, with a lot of big food and drug law firms, with um, a lot of members of Congress, 
and our avenues for recourse are are very few at this point and and you know i know our industry has tried and failed at several points in the past for various reasons to to really um, rally people around a PR campaign and activate our customer base. Um, but if there was ever a time that that was called for, it's absolutely right now because um, our legal options are pretty narrow. Um, our political options are pretty narrow. And, um, you know, I think if, if our customer base really got loud about what the FDA is doing, uh, condemning them to a, a life of smoking and death by taking away the products that have saved their life, um, I think that's one of the few things right now that could truly be helpful um, because I know a, a lot of manufacturers right now, um, you know, they're, they're looking at, at, at ways to be viable long term because nobody wants to close up shop, right? Um, you, you know, these temporary solutions are getting floated and, you know, I support people doing what they have to do to keep their products going to their customers. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, short term solutions are going to kick this can down the road a year, maybe two, and we're going to find ourselves in the exact same situation. And so if if there is any fight left in the industry, if there's any fight left in our customer base, I mean, certainly now is the time, you know, for, for the leaders in our industry to really be getting together and and looking at, 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 you know, fighting back against this narrative that the FDA is now using as as the presumption to to cancel our entire industry you know and i and i think we have to really take a look at are we willing to fight back or are people willing to to take a second look at, at funding real PR to, to, to kind of real narrative change here because the, the public health aspect of open systems vaping has been lost entirely. And if we don't bring that back, I don't think we stand a chance with any kind of solution that we might embark on from this point forward. Well, that's great. And I do agree. So <clears throat> we'll just move to wrapping up here. So let me just start with Phil here. As a last question, Phil, the there was uh, 15 past presidents of the Society for Research on Nicotine and Tobacco had come out with you know major paper uh, in support of uh, vaping as a tool for harm reduction. What did you think of that? And is it a lot too late? Um, I thought it was great. I thought it was great. I thought it was fantastic. And it was about as helpful as a billion lives. And you don't know nicotine and everything else that has come out that we could have used as a tool uh, to, to help us and to help the industry. How how these 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 articles these stories these positive uh the vaping articles aren't getting the public press that they need that they deserve uh is beyond me when i saw that i i sent that to several different news media outlets i sent that to several news uh popular um personalities hoping that somebody would pick it up and somebody would run with it and i haven't heard anything or seen anything um you know, a tool is only as good as as the the things that we build with it. And we're not building anything with these tools that we're handed. Uh, and I think that's really, really unfortunate. Well, that's great. Well, thanks, Phil. And thanks for coming back on the show. Demetrius, do you have a final word for our guests with regards to the animus you might have towards FDA in this process? Yeah. Yeah. Imagine if we had a PR from three years ago, Brent. Wow. Right. 
That's right. Imagine if we had gotten that project uh, up. Look, I agree with Amanda, but I am also a very realistic and honest person. There's absolutely no way that we can raise. If we can, me and Brent and Matt Culley have a, a, a wonderful uh, portfolio for a PR firm over the next nine months ready to go uh, if, if this industry is willing to fund it. However, I just do not find ourselves in a financial position when when the real money was flowing in this industry, it was misused. And now that there is a shortage of funds, we're asking for PR, which is going to be virtually impossible to be able to raise that kind of money. Although, in my opinion, in my humble opinion, and take it for what it's worth, it's the only thing that will save this industry. And that is to be on every channel, every night with a spokesperson chosen for that particular channel and get the word out of what this is causing. Uh, aside from you know the thousands of smokers or thousands of ex-smokers that use these products, what is it doing financially? Uh, the impact it's gonna have on small business administration loans, the impact it's gonna have on retail space that has been rented out by these vape shops, the impact it's gonna have on American jobs that have been created through the vape industry. These are all issues that should be in front of the camera on a mainstream news network every night and the only way to accomplish that is to fund a, fund a PR campaign. And it's the only thing that is going to make an administration shift its position, including the federal corrupt arms that it's attached to. Fair enough. Amanda, <laughs> do you have any final words and some advice? You know, and, and I'm not going to speak on behalf of any of my associations or, or anything like that. I'm just speaking as a, as a human being that's involved in this. Um, don't close your business. Don't send your customers back to smoking. You, you know, do what you have to do, right? Um, you know, if, if, if there is a solution to move forward, I would encourage people to look for, for whatever that solution might be. Um, because we certainly um, are not going to accomplish anything if if we give up and and we start you know losing our our business owner voices if we start losing you know those customer voices if there's any hope of moving forward here um, it's going to take everybody uh, working together towards the same goal and we can't we can't do that if if we're losing our entire community right because what what Demi's talking about is you know the only hope we have is if everybody really pulls together and gets behind one course of action that they're willing to fund and willing to execute and it's been a really long time since we've seen our industry do that fair enough very good points well all of you guys thank you so much for coming on the show tonight we had the problem with the audio so for everybody who uh who might be watching this at some point we will shorten that up tighten it up uh, for YouTube and do that as well and release it on Facebook. That'll be sometime later tonight. Expect to see this really pushed out tomorrow. And if you get a chance, please go to support.regulatorwatch.com. We certainly can use some funding to help keep our coverage going. All right, guys. Well, look, thanks a lot. Have a great weekend and best of luck vaping if you got them.